0: This is Our Anxiety Stories, the Anxiety Canada podcast with John Bacon. This is the place where people from all walks of life share their anxiety stories to remind you that you are not alone. If you have an anxiety story you'd like to share, contact us at anxietycanada.com slash our anxiety stories. My name's John Bateman. You're listening to Our Anxiety Stories, the Anxiety Canada podcast, which can be found at anxietycanada.com slash our anxiety stories. Today, I'm talking to Dale Horth, who climbed to the top of the logging industry and just as fast, it was all taken away. In a silent battle against depression, he drank, did drugs, and slept whole days away. The hyper-masculine culture of his industry meant that he was hardwired against anything spiritual. Rehab and therapy were hippie crap, and only the weak needed help. It took great strength for Dale to break out of that cycle, and he found the courage to seek recovery and rebuild his life. Dale is the author of Why Men Suffer in Silence, a story of hope and recovery. It tells the true story of one man's journey through PTSD, anxiety, and depression, full of real tips and techniques for overcoming and prevailing its mental health challenges. It shows the reader that there is hope for us all. Thanks for joining me, Dale. Thanks Thanks for having me. Yeah, um, we kick it off with uh, you telling us what your anxiety story is.
1: My anxiety story?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, really, it's uh, it, it was probably um, 26 years long, and um, I really didn't know what the heck it was. Uh, you know, I used to wake up in the middle of the night and have panic attacks, and um go for adventures in the middle of the night driving around town Um, a lot of times i would get to the door of the hospital but never get in Mm -hmm. and then um, just um over the years it kind of um crept up on me even more Uh, my my anxiety and and panic attacks um came more frequently Mm -hmm. and um It got to the point where I think you know, like, I got hurt in 1994. By 2018 is when it really kind of started falling apart for me. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, I didn't know why all these years I'd wake up in the middle of the night and I'd be in tears, crying, and whatever. I didn't know what it was, and I just suffered with it for many years. And then, um, hospital visits, um, I went to the hospital 58 times in 2019. Wow. Yeah. I, um, I used to wake up in the middle of the night and I felt like somebody was controlling my mind and my body. Right. I didn't have control and I'd run out of my house a hundred miles an hour. Like I mm-hmm. thought I was dying and, mm-hmm. um, I would get to. I'd get to the hospital. I'd always have a pair of shorts on. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. I'd have a pair of shoes on if I was lucky. Wow. But uh, you know, ninety percent of the time, I had no t-shirt on when I got there, and um, that's how fast like I had to get out of my house. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, the hospital they kind of laughed. They kind of called me half-naked man. That was my nickname there because right. Yeah, I, did, I did fifty-eight times in in uh, two thousand and nineteen to the hospital. Um, I got to the point where having a shower was uh, difficult, you know, like putting my head water, closing the curtain. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I couldn't even close the, the curtain and you know, sh- shower with the bathroom door open and the curtain wide open, and I just, yeah, it was like claustrophobic. Um, what else did I go through? <laughs> um,
0: it's It sounds to me like... So when you first start experiencing it, you didn't, like many people, you didn't have a sort of an idea of what anxiety was, you know, like what, what did it physically, what did it feel like for you when you first started experiencing it?
1: I had a electrifying buzz in my whole body. Like I felt mm-hmm. like I was electrically buzzing and it felt like, it felt like two guys screwing around with my head by with a remote control. Right. That's it felt like. I felt like somebody was like trying to control me. Like I just that that's the only way I could really I just didn't have control of my mind. My body I just had this overwhelming electric rush yeah. in my body. And, yeah. And
0: and so somewhere along the line, so you you did you said you did a lot of visits to the hospital in 2019 had you done hospital visits previous to that did you see had you seen doctors previous to that i mean I'm, I'm assuming you were you know you're still working at that point you you're in the logging industry at this point
1: yeah i was um i was still in denial of my ptsd at that point mm-hmm. you know i would uh, wake up in the hospital in the morning and um i would dispatch all my workers from from hospital bed and on my phone and, right and um and then I would get up and, you know, they'd kick me out by 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning. And mm-hmm. I'd just go from hospital right to work. I did that for pretty much all of 2019. Um, 2008, uh, 2020 is really, um, it really switched. But prior to 2019, yeah, I suffered a lot of um, times of panic attacks in the past, but I, I never had no, I never had had a van or anything. To, mm-hmm. um, I had to go to law school a few times with um, um, get out of that. So that was like, that's, a, that's, Prior, a, like, that's early in the two, early 2000s. Um, I was flying an airplane one time, um, Fort St. John,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and had a complete panic attack on the plane. Well,
0: while, you, while you were in the airplane?
1: Oh yeah. That Were you
0: controlling the airplane at the
1: time? No, I. Okay, I just, okay. I was like, you know, I was scared because I didn't want to make a scene. Yeah. And um, I wanted off that plane, and I wanted it off now.
0: I've had panic attacks on airplanes too. And um, yeah.
1: uh, I started, you know, ripping my clothes off. I had no shirt on. Yeah. That yeah. was first thing to go. Yeah. Uh, I remember calling the airline attendant over and I kind of was like yeah I'm kind of having a panic attack right now and uh, I just don't want to freak out and mm-hmm. she went and got me water and she just um, sat down beside me and I don't know what she was doing with my hand but she was like doing like little circles and stuff and then she oh, just, yeah. and um, she totally like diffused the situation that worked off. eh it's interesting hey, yeah. It calmed me down and yeah it's, it's interesting
0: that there's that there's yeah these subtle things that do work i mean often it's some kind of human interaction or some kind of human contact uh, you know that's a long time for you to be for when you first start talking about suffering until you know 2019 when you had you know uh so you were obviously within this time frame self-medicating too was it was it like the whole time like it's you know were you drinking, were you, were you using those, were you using drink and drugs to get I, uh, rid of the feeling or.
1: I, um, I, I, I got to the rehabilitation center in 1995. Right. And I was uh, kind of the fourth floor was kind of where they put all the bad dudes. Right. And yep. the, I quickly was on the fourth floor and yep. you know I was buying all the, all the drugs and bringing the drugs into the rehabilitation center. Wow. So you're able to come and go
0: from the rehab center.
1: Yeah. And then, yeah. Uh, you know, drinking, um, I, I learned that uh, you can put a six pack of beer in the back of a toilet tank and it keeps your beer mm. cold and you can still flush it.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's, so wow, a lot of, a lot of tips and tricks for that kind of thing that we don't want to have to learn for sure.
1: And, um, uh, but cocaine, cocaine was in my life for really hard for two years. Mm-hmm. In 1997, my, my best friend died of a drug overdose, mm-hmm. and uh, I went to his viewing, and uh, you know, looked at him there, dead in the pine box, and grabbed his hand, and mm-hmm. I called turkey cocaine right there. But um, alcohol, I I still drank alcohol for many many years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I I I have a limit with alcohol now. Like I mm-hmm. I don't. I don't drink excessively to get drunk.
0: and Yeah. Um, so wh- uh, when you started having those multiple hospital visits in 2019, uh, I guess I'm curious, you know, what were the doctors telling you at that point? You know,
1: that's, how were they really,
0: helping that's you? When I,
1: that's when I really started getting, I got diagnosed with
0: PTSD. Yeah, right. And, and the, did the PTSD, was that did that come from a specific event in your life?
1: So so July 14th, 1994, I was involved in a major logging accident and um, I just actually proved that I had head injuries Um, from my throat. I broke my ribs, lacerated my liver, broke my back in five spots, something with my hip, broke my femur in half, I broke my left ankle, all the toes. And uh, I shattered my right ankle and I broke my tibula, fibula and patella and done a bunch of cartilage in my knee. So um yeah it was a, a, quite a mess and um that's
0: trauma. That's t- trauma for sure. Yeah.
1: And uh I I lived with you know I've been hypervigilant um for 28 years. Mm-hmm. And um you know I went to uh, West Coast Resilience Center in uh, 2020 mm-hmm. as a PTSD clinic and um they're the ones that really showed me how um hypervigilant I was hmm. and i honestly i didn't know i was hypervigilant um, it's kind of upsetting kind of in a way because uh, i've started a new career path and it's all into safety yeah
0: what what were you you say you're hypervigilant what were what were you hypervigilant of at that point
1: i can see death i could see accidents i could see right i could i see things what um could happen
0: so your vigilance is trying to avoid you know, the hypervigilance you're talking about at that time is trying to avoid anything that might cause that that might lead to that kind of outcome. Put it,
1: put it this way. Um, say we go for a walk on the seawall, the Vancouver and we're going around what um, like Stanley park, mm-hmm. you know, you would be walking and, and, you know, you'd be looking at the flowers and smelling the flowers and smelling the grass and, mm-hmm. and, you know, listening to the birds chirp and looking at trees and just seeing the beauty of things. And I'm scanning for danger, 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 right. right. And I, I'm not smelling anything. I'm not, I'm just. That's
0: a real double whammy when it comes to anxiety. Cause one, on one hand it's causing anxiety from, you know, you seeing all these things in the world that most people just walk by. And also you not being able to enjoy things that most people are enjoying at the time
1: and I, I square things off like i i really right. so i go okay this area here is gonna reach me then there's this over there potential this potential and that's what i i kind of always did you know as i driving down the road and there's a big logging truck coming down the road i'm kind of going to the to the right of it giving them room because i could see them crossing the line and squishing me or
0: like yeah that. yeah
1: yeah and, and you
0: know like you say hyper vigilance but we'll we'll get into it but you know, also great qualities for, you know, we need people like you to, to be that person, um, as long as it's not causing you, you anxiety and ruining your life. I want to circle back to, because, because I initially asked about the, about 2019 and when you started getting an idea of what was going on, you know, what, how were the doctors and nurses reacting to you and treating you during, you know, these multiple visits that you did in that year?
1: They were more or less um, just hitting me with a lot of drugs when I got to the hospital.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. So benzos or, or whatever, something like stuff like that to kind of calm yeah, down. down. I,
1: I would get there. You know, I was probably on two milligrams of uh, Ativan at mm-hmm. that point at nighttime mm-hmm. to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. So when I'd get to the hospital, they were hitting me with four milligrams. So they would give me an additional like two milligrams of or sometimes they would give me like some. I know they were using antipsychotic meds on me and stuff. Yeah, and, and yeah. Um, um, yeah, I just it's like you know the last time I went to the, I uh, I went to the hospital. Well, not the last time, but I just remember one time I went to the hospital. It was I think it was 2021. Mm. Um, that was my only time that year, and I went there and they're like Dale Horth, and I'm like yeah, half naked man. She goes, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, I just like, like peeled my clothes off, jumped in the bed and they, I just like, okay, I have a warm blanket. And then, you know, they brought me some Ativan or something and way I went, just went to sleep. Yeah, just, yeah. Uh, it's just like, I was like, I know it was kind of like I was at home.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so somewhere along the line, like you, you, you figured out how to get real, real help. I'm assuming, you know, did you end up, you know, going somewhere to help deal with your anxiety, talking to somebody to help deal with your anxiety? You know, what was your uh, direction yeah, I, there? So
1: in um, 2018, so I, I swore off against um, all counselors back in the early day, mm-hmm. I had a really bad counseling session in, in uh, December of 1994, mm-hmm. um, where I feel like she got me to act out anger she got me blacked out mad and then, uh, wow. and then, uh, got to the end of the session and she let me leave that way. Right. Wow. Okay. So 2018 is when I really needed to seek help and, and go back to this counseling and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I I was seeing, uh, a local lady here in Squamish and then, uh, she was really good and helpful, but, um, just hit a, drop, a brick wall with her one day. I just like Man, I don't got nothing more to tell you.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that certainly happens with counselors. You know, they 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 have expiry dates in in many cases.
1: Yeah, and I um, but um, I go see this uh, counselor now here in Squamish. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I came at her the very first time I came I came through the men's program where I had like eight visits and um, I think. of it was paid through the men's program. Yeah. So I was like paying like $20 a visit or something. Awesome. Yeah. And, uh, uh, I, I hit her with like six major things that I was going through at once. And Mm -hmm. I just like, remember her saying, she's like, well, I don't think I'm a good fit for you. Right. And, um, well now, you know, she's, uh, I, I, see her through my WorkSafe BC, um, mm-hmm. file and, um, you know, here, here she is three years later, still my therapist and, uh, you know, she's the best therapist that, uh, I've had.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Re regained a lot of hope in that, in the system there and in, the, in that process for sure.
1: Yeah. He, uh, she pulled a lot of stuff out of me that, um, I never thought I would, uh, you know, even stuff that happened to me in my childhood and stuff. But, yeah. Yeah. And,
0: uh, yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I've been through what I would say is like a parade of therapists, you know, psychologists, psychiatrists in my life. And yeah. I'd say of all the, all the ones I saw, which is probably, you know, we're getting into the dozens now. I can think of maybe three of those off the top of my head that I really that really worked with me. And that's, I mean, it's frustrating for some people to go through that process of trying to find the right one, but it's like you're showing, it's really worth it when you do find the right one.
1: Absolutely. Like she's gained my trust and, and um, if I try and hide something from her, mm. I go, I find myself, I go home and I'll, I'll beat myself up for another week. <laughs> i go see her and it's like and it's like you know it's like i kind of like lied to you and whatever and then she's like she never she never has a a horrible judgment of me and and like what i ever tell her and stuff and and yeah that's i really like about her
0: yeah so so your your career obviously shifted to something that seems to suit sort of you know what you, you were talking about you've talked about the way your thoughts work in terms of that hyper vigilance and you've talked away the, the in terms of way your thoughts have worked in the past in terms of um what i would call you know um automatic negative thoughts you know you had you you had that sense of your your brain and your body being controlled by something else I've certainly had that intrusive thoughts, you know. I've had intrusive suicidal thoughts, ideation, the, the whole nine yards. Yep. But but somewhere along the line, you, you like you you seem to have parlayed this into something that's pretty useful in, in a couple of ways. You know, I want to ask you first about you know what you do now. You know, for your job, it sounds like some of these qualities that you have um, are very useful
1: uh, for people. So I basically. 2020 was the year that I, uh, you know, the suicidalizations and hospital visits um, Mm -hmm. were extended to weeks at a time. Mm -hmm. Um, I took pills. I stuck guns to my head. Um, I was really trying to die that year. Mm -hmm. And um, I finally hit the bottom July 22nd, 2020. Okay. Yeah. And um, that's when WCB reinstated my old
2: 1994
1: claim. Yeah. And, um, you know, for the rest of the 2020, all I had to do was just look after myself. Yeah. It was my job. And yeah. that rest of the summer, I just went hiking and, you know, went to the gym and just was just kind to myself. And then
0: that really worked for you.
1: Yeah, and then I went, then I got into the um, PTSD clinic and uh, I spent 16 weeks there. And um, there was an occupational therapist there that I felt was going too fast for me. Mm-hmm. And um, this is where I learned um, <laughs> the word advocate for yourself. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like I, I used to be either attack by the throat or I would go the other direction and just let people walk all over me. Right. So I never knew the middle ground of standing up for yourself and saying no and doing it respectfully saying no and, and um, having positive results and nobody hates (laughs) you. Yeah.
0: It's amazing thing when you come across that one, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. So
1: <laughs> I I, uh, I had to I had to learn I, I wanted to fire this guy yeah. and I had to do two sessions with counselors to like fire this guy. Oh
0: yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah. And um, I did, and then I then I got a a new female occupational therapist, and then was just off to the races. And great.
0: Mm-hmm. So what do you do now? What's your occupation now?
1: So in. 2017 I went to Alberta on my own and I I started doing safety courses Mm -hmm. and uh, I did my national construction safety officer course I had to do like 14 courses to get that Mm designation. and uh, (laughs) anyways uh, so I got my NCSO and um, I did do some work with it i went i went and did pulp mill shutdown tours and stuff but yeah i ended up back in the logging industry back and then my dad retired and i took my dad's company over yeah and then till 2020 and then um because i did the ncso um i'm going after my right now i'm going after my crsp mm-hmm. which is certified registered safety professional right but um before you can do that you have to take your OSHA yeah occupational safety health administration yeah. and um i'm about six weeks away from completing my osha right now awesome yeah um you know uh, i'm in the uh, university of uh, fredericton right oh yeah Wow. yeah and um, you know my my marks are like 90 95 yeah. percent uh, and it's like uh you know i graduated high school on intimidation I was like, you know, who's this going to hurt more? Are you failing me? i just come back or you know, just ask me and I won't come back. But yeah. And, and it's funny now. It's like, I, I'm, you know, I've got a lot of experience in the logging industry and stuff. And then, um, so my book has kind of opened the door for, um, you know, BC Forest safety council. I've, yeah. That's what I want to talk
0: to you about that this book, why men suffer in silence, uh, yeah. You, you wrote a book, yeah. Um, which, which to me is within you know the the realm you've been existing. Um, it's an incredible achievement. Uh, so yeah, tell me a bit about how that book came about, and uh, you know what it's about, and how it's you know lending I itself just, to what you're doing. I
1: just really good at um, expressing myself really well on paper. Yeah. So one day I just blabbed out these eight stories. And I sent it all in. And then when I went to the West Coast Resilience Center, they were like blown away because that's actual exercise that they probably wanted me to do on my own. But I am yeah. like, oh, yeah, here's my story. Yeah, and, uh, amazing. So uh, a social worker got a hold of my stuff and she said, um, you, uh, your, your stuff is like brilliant. Like you should write a book. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, okay. And then I met this, I met this, <laughs> I met this um, female bodybuilder and uh, became really friends uh, with her mm-hmm. and um, she wrote a book and she wrote a book on um, we do recover so she's gone through a lot of trauma and stuff in herself wow. and then I had my book written when I met her when I met her but yeah. I had it all in paper and journals and stuff yeah. and, and um, so she got a hold of her editor and stuff and then I ended up sending my stuff to the editor and they absolutely loved it. And then, however, they wanted me to get my book from paper to, to computer. Of course. So, um, you know, I was like, I'm like, ah, threw those things behind me and just started writing again. And oh, just, interesting. I just rewrote it and I felt like the second version of it was actually the one you get in the store.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, it's very clean. It's very honest. I, I don't do any finger pointing. I, uh, I I take ownership of my own stuff. I, you know, I'm not calling anybody out. Um, my my journals were very dark and very a lot of finger pointing and name calling and right, name yeah, name. which think, is what journals are good for too. Yeah, but so I'm yeah. kind of glad I, I I wrote it out and then it was a it was a long process. So I I had um, hired two editors. And then when I got the freeze and press, my book was in really good shape. Mm -hmm. And then they went through a bunch of proofreads and then with proofreads, they just found a lot of my spelling was, you know, for instance, I had a lot of American spelling, so they wanted to keep keep it consistent in the Canadian version. They wanted
0: more OUs in there.
1: Yeah. And then, then, uh, you know, like I might put the number one down in one moment and then I might be spelling number one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So just inconsistencies like that, and they fixed it, and then that's what editors are for. I I went, I went through three proofreads, three edits. Um, You know, it. uh, I finished writing it last May, Mm -hmm. and of May of two thousand twenty-one, and it wasn't released till Christmas. Just it's a real detail. It's a real process. Yeah, yeah you know especially when you're doing a project like that too right you really yeah. want to be the best yeah. and then uh, so, so like so the login industry got a hold of my book hmm. and you know the login industry a lot of guys suffer with PTSD and anxiety and stuff and stuff but, but uh, they don't know what to do to help these guys and so I've been doing a lot of safety talks. I did a safety talk with BC Forest Safety Council, um, mosaic uh, forest management. I you know, spoke to 350 people. Um, and I've really opened the door to these are you know some of the potential places that I want to go work for when I'm finished. I want to go back to the login industry. I want to, you know, I want to help young, young kids coming up in the in the thing. And um, you know, the logging industry is a, a very testosterone, man-driven industry. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, they, they keep talking about, you know, well, we keep putting these pamphlets and and stuff and, and, and uh, flyers out, but nobody ever takes them.
0: Yeah, of course not, yeah.
1: And, um, you know, you can't put it on, you know, my dad was a boss in the logging industry. You can't put... My, I, I know my dad would, it would drive him mental all of a sudden he's you know like I gotta worry about these guys getting to work in the morning and I gotta put them here and now I'm gotta you know hug and freak and kiss them when they're <laughs> yeah <laughs> right that's <Yeah. laughs> my, yeah. my dad's but my dad's like old school
0: not a babysitter
1: yeah. yeah yeah so you know the people there and the industry the logging industry you know you know we hurt and killed lots of guys and mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And the hard part is, is you know a guy might get killed on a Wednesday and, and we're burying him on Saturday and Monday morning you're asking these same individuals what we're friends with this guy to come to work and pick up the chainsaw and carry on yeah I, I feel I feel there needs to be a little bit more support system to help the people who are there to um, transition back to work after there's been major accidents and Mm -hmm.
0: and uh, and stuff yeah so so this is a lot of you know your your book has you know kind of techniques for overcoming and prevailing mental health challenges what what are the main kind of techniques that you feel like you've come across that have helped you personally deal with those issues that you've had
1: i like to do like uh you know obviously uh you know breathing breathing exercises Mm -hmm. yeah you know at normal we're about 16 breaths per minute right mm-hmm. and uh, yeah it's some an anxiety in, in, in there and you're probably 30 40 <laughs> yeah for sure per minute, right for sure so so uh you know the four seconds in six seconds out mm-hmm. and, and you time that mm-hmm. you're bringing your breath down to six breaths per minute yeah yeah and just keep kind of overdoing that and you know yeah. there's square breathing stuff of you know, breathing, holding, exhaling, whatever. Um, yeah, square breathing. That's like basically four in,
0: four hold, four out, four hold, four in, four yeah. hold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done It's effective. Yes.
1: And then uh, I really like muscle tensioning.
0: Right. Yeah. So I that's like, like tensing and releasing your muscles.
1: Yeah. Started yeah. your toes and work yeah your ankles and your calves and you know your buttocks and all the way up to your arms and fists and lift your shoulders even you know, opening your jaw raising your eyebrows and yeah yeah and um that one's a really good one i really like that one and um
0: yeah these are the it's interesting because these are physical things you're doing that are you, that where your your mental health is responding positively to it not just a I, I matter been, of looking at your thoughts and figuring out what's going on I've been, in
1: emergency, I've been in an emergency room doing my exercises
0: yeah just to bring yourself down yeah yeah, yeah,
1: and, it's, and it's now, it's like, I still have panic attacks to this day. Sure, yeah. And um, it's like, I, I know what's going on now. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I'm having a panic attack. Well, you know what, it's kind of cold outside. I think I'm going to put some shoes on, pants mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, yeah, I probably should put a shirt and a coat on. And, you know, right. I don't run out of the house half negative. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah like, you, yeah, you, sounds like, like you. like, hold on, the- hold on anxiety. I'm going to get dressed here. Yeah. And then we'll and, deal with you.
0: And so by the time you're kind of done all that stuff, getting dressed, your anxiety attack is probably on the way out.
1: I have a, I have a spot where I walk on my street mm-hmm. and I go for a long walk to the end of my street and it's the stop sign and mm-hmm. I come back. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times now, I don't even have to leave my porch. I could just sit outside on my porch and like, and I'm just like, okay. And like, mm-hmm. and then I, I go back in the house. I'm like, I can't get back to sleep right away. But I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to watch some YouTube or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, still, it, it, and, and the YouTube videos will kind of change my mind. And then all of a sudden, boom, I fell asleep. <laughs>
0: Yeah, the, it's interesting how um, knowledge of what a panic attack is really, for me, helped mitigate them, almost eradicate them. You know, I might have one a year at this point, point. and uh, just knowing what was happening and just telling myself that was happening really, really took the edge off. Essentially, that you, so you were talking about when you'd walk out your street, you'd that by the time you got to the stop sign and back, you would—that's normally what the time would have been to get rid of a panic attack but then that just kept decreasing and decreasing until you're just stepping outside of your house. Yeah. 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 It's amazing. That's a great technique. You know, it's a nice and, way to measure it too.
1: And, and uh, I keep my, I keep my emergency out of it. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And um, you know, I get six tabs at a time Yeah. and I can go nine months without taking one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's just nice knowing that you have them, you know,
1: I, I take them everywhere I go. Like if yep. I'm going to Vancouver, I always have my emergency meds with me and stuff. Yep. And yeah, I feel safe. It's, it's smart. Like, yeah. It's, it's smart. Kind of like my security blanket. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll get on an airplane and know I have them in my pocket. Yeah. I feel cool. Like I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm not going to have a panic attack because I know I've got these in my pocket. Yeah. Sure. Yeah.
0: Just yeah. Knowing
1: that, exactly. Just knowing the feeling that you have them.
0: Yeah, so they work twice. They they work once in the fact that you know you have them. Therefore, you know you feel safe. And if something happens, then you can actually take one. Yeah, you know, and, and that's okay, right? That's you know, that's you have to do that too, to to um to to help yourself, right? It's it's really important. I I, I have to thank you. Your story for me, um, it seems like one of perseverance and i i would dare say stubbornness on your part to keep going and keep going and keep going um be, beyond what you've done and and i and i think the book is incredible and you know i really appreciate you talking to me and i i would suggest people go out and get why men Suffer why men suffer in silence a story of hope and recovery i think it'll help a lot of people i really appreciate you talking to me about your journey today dale it's been really great talking to you
1: yeah thank you very much
0: okay we'll chat again take care
1: You take care
0: too. Okay. Bye. Thank you for listening to our anxiety stories. If you'd like to support this podcast or Anxiety Canada, go to anxietycanada.com.